Good morning. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 30 through verse 44. I'm not putting the uh, passage on the screen behind me, but you can grab a Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one with you today. Uh, there's probably an NIV or NRSV, but both of those will work just fine. Chapter 6, verse, verse number 30 uh, through 44. Show me you have your Bible in front of you. Somebody, I want to see a Bible, okay. Good, 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 good. Somebody's got it on their phone. He's not surfing the net. He's just reading the Bible. So the story we're going to read today is about a dramatic moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples where a large crowd gathers and the disciples feed 5,000 people plus another 10,000 women and children with a small amount of food. This story is an important story. It's one of two stories, only two stories in the New Testament are told in all four Gospels. The story of the resurrection of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. These are the only two stories that are told in all four Gospels, which means it must be an important story. I love this story because this story reminds us of the purpose of the church uh, to feed hungry people. And it reminds us that sometimes we, we tend to look at what we're lacking as opposed to focusing on what we have. The story tells us that we're just supposed to offer what we have, that the miracle that's awaiting to happen is already in our hands. And if we just offer the little we have to God, he will take it, he will multiply it, and he'll use it to bless others. That's what the story really is all about. And I think it says a lot to us about who we've been, who we are, and who we want to be. When I was a student at Vanderbilt in Nashville, my last year, I became the minister of a church 100 miles from the school. I would drive 100 miles down on the weekend, preach, visit, then drive back every weekend for about a year and a half. And I'd never been uh, the pastor of a church before, of any church and was a little bit lost in the weeds. And so I reached out to an older minister and said, hey, I've got my first church. Can you give me some advice? You know, what would you do if you were just starting out? What would you do? And uh, he told me a story. As preachers always, they never give you a straight answer. They just tell you stories, right? So he says, hey, here's, what, here's, what, here's your, my advice. There was a woman who went to a pet store and she bought a parrot pet store owner told the woman that the parrot can talk. So she buys the parrot. She's happy. She goes home. A week later, she comes back to the pet store and says to the owner, hey, this parrot hasn't said a word. I've had him for over a week. Pet store owner says, well, he probably needs some exercise. So why don't you buy him a ladder? Because parrots love to go up and down ladders and get a let, he'll start talking. So she buys the ladder. Comes back a week later He's going up and down that ladder, but he hasn't said a word. He's not talking. Well, I know what the problem is. He also needs, to enter, he needs some entertainment. So why don't you buy a little swing? He'll swing on it. He'll get some exercise. He'll get some entertainment. He'll be so happy. He'll start talking. I promise you he'll start talking. Comes back a week later, not a word out of the bird. Not a single word. He's swinging. He's going up and down. He's, he's not talking. He says, I know what it is. You need a mirror. 
Let him look at himself in the mirror, and I promise he'll start talking. Well, the lady comes back a week later, and she just has this horrible look on her face. He said, what's wrong? Well, he was going up and down the ladder, and he was swinging on the swing. He was looking in the mirror, and then he just fell over and died. You mean he's dead? Yeah, he is dead. Did he say anything before he died? Now I'm thinking, what is this guy telling me? What, what? Did he say anything before he died? Do they sell any food down at that pet store? Bad joke, right? It's okay to boo. I said, what does this have to do with starting your first church? He said, you can entertain people. And he said, you can keep people busy, but you got to feed them. He said, if you don't feed people spiritually, if you don't meet their deepest hungers and deepest needs, people are going to die. He said, your job as a preacher is every Sunday to stand up and feed people the bread of life. That's what you're called to do. I love that story and I love that advice because it's right. In this story, I want to point out something to you that I find to be very, very meaningful to me. In this story, a large crowd gathers and Jesus feeds their soul by teaching them. And then he orders the disciples to feed them physically. Both things are important to the gospel message. The gospel message means that we feed people who are hungry physically. But it also means that we feed people who are hungry spiritually. And if the gospel is only a message that we preach to people's souls, then it's not the gospel. If all we do is give people food to meet their physical needs, it's not the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses the whole person. It addresses their physical needs and it addresses their spiritual needs. And when I think about a church and who our church has been and who we are and where we're going, you know what I see? I see a church feeding hungry people, meeting people's physical needs, meeting people's spiritual needs. And look around you, everywhere in our world, people are hungry for hope, people are hungry for meaning, but they're also lacking the things that they need for a good and healthy life to raise their kids. And we have been put in this community to live out the love of Jesus and to embrace people where they are. But I got to tell you something, it's not easy, is it? Let's look at the story. It says here, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and had taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The disciples had been out in the mission field. They had been healing the sick. They had been teaching people the gospel. They had been feeding hungry crowds, and they were exhausted and they were tired. Jesus himself, crowds were pressing all around him. He had recently learned the bad news that John the Baptist had lost his life, had been executed. There was a lot of heavy demands placed on these 12 disciples and Jesus too, and they were exhausted. So Jesus said, let's get away, let's get some time away. And here's what happens. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. How inconvenient. 
Think about it. They're exhausted, and they're tired, and they're worn out. And Jesus gets in a boat and sails across the Sea of Galilee. But before they can even get there, people from all the towns around the Sea of Galilee had run around the edge of the lake. And this was a hilly place. They had done a 5K sprint to get to where Jesus was. And when they get out of the boat, there's no time and no rest. You know why? Because when Jesus is in the house, people are always going to show up. Because when Jesus is in the house, you don't have to have an everyone bring one campaign to get people to show up. You see, when Jesus is in the house, you don't have to have social media to attract a crowd. You see, when Jesus is in the house, you don't have to have a tailgate treat, an attractional event to bring people to the church. Because people are hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for his teaching. They're hungry for his word. They're hungry for his life. They're hungry for all he has to offer because Jesus was loving and compassionate and empathetic and cared about people. Every person was important to Jesus. He saw people, he didn't see problems. And you know what I see? I see a church bursting at the seams. I do. Because if Jesus is in the house, we need to welcome more people because they're going to come. You know what I see? I see a day when you arrive at church and you have to park it southeast for our overflow parking. Because, because by the time you got here, the parking lot's full and we had to send somebody over in a shuttle to pick you up. And I see that by the time you walk into the building and you go to your seat, somebody's already sitting in your seat. And by the time the bread gets passed, there ain't no bread left, there ain't no juice left, and you're upset because you've got to stand up and you've got to eat the crumbs that were, was handled by everybody else on the bottom of that tray. You see, if we're going to be the church that Jesus has called us to be, there's going to be a crowd. It's going to be all kinds of people, different races, different lifestyles, people who think differently, people who look differently. There might be people who don't believe in God and people who don't know the rules. And people are going to bring their kids in here. I'm sorry. When Jesus is here, they're going to bring their kids because Jesus likes kids. The church doesn't always like kids, but Jesus loves kids. And it's not going to bother him one bit if they're running around during the sermon crushing Tootsie Rolls into our nice, clean carpet. <laughs> Let me tell you, my former church, we had uh, about 35 people, and the church started to grow. And I remember when we began to set up extra chairs. And I remember like it was yesterday when someone came up to me and said, you know, our church just doesn't, just doesn't feel the way it used to. I said, what do you mean? Well, I don't know any of these people. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, our church used to be small enough where I could know everybody, and I can't know everybody. You ever heard anybody say that before? Well, I don't want to go to two services, and I can't know everybody. Let me tell you, nowhere in the New Testament... Anywhere does it say that you have to know everybody. The bottom line is you're not the center of the universe, and you don't have to know everybody. If we limit the gospel to the people you know, a lot of people are going to go straight to hell because you can't know everybody. All that matters is that they know somebody, and all that matters is that they get introduced to Jesus because they're here to see Jesus. They're not here to see you anyway. And I tell you what, we begin to attract all kinds of unusual people, some strange people, just like all of you. Some odd people. And I remember one Sunday when the church was smaller, we would raise our hand for prayer requests. And you'd hear all kinds of things. There was this woman that started coming who was rather strange. She dressed unusually. She didn't fit our typical crowd. And she would raise her hand every time. I knew she was going to raise her hand. Pastor Dave, pray for me. I got stung by a bee. 
Pastor Dave, I woke up this morning and my hair was falling out. I'm sorry, we'll pray for you. Pastor Dave, I woke up this morning with a headache and a stomach. And then one Sunday she didn't raise her hand. Now this is a quiet church. She runs down the aisle waving her arms. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I started backing up. She gets up to the front and she says, I have a prayer request. And she bursts into tears. She calms down and I said, what is it? What is it? She said, I just realized I will never achieve my dream to become a famous actress. What do you do with that? <laughs> and, and we were in a multi-purpose room. We had a closet over there. She darted into the closet and slammed the door and you could hear wailing from behind the door. The whole service came to a stop. This happened three times over a few months. I would send an elder that would go in and get her out. You see, when Jesus is in the house, it's not going to be quiet. When Jesus is in the house, you're going to attract all kinds of people. You see, we don't need an everyone bring one campaign when the church starts looking like Jesus. Look what it says in the text. Jesus landed and saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. He didn't see them as problems or disturbances or obstacles because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When the church starts looking like empathy, and I see it in you, the church starts looking like compassion, and I see it in you, people are going to show up, all kinds of people. Uh, another church that I was fired from about <laughs> in Arkansas, there was this housing complex near the church, several housing complexes, and these kids were unsupervised and often truant. And they didn't have a lot of social graces. And they'd never been in our building. So we just, one day, we started taking a ball out and started playing kickball. And we started gathering a crowd of kids. It was fun. Well, this church was a small church. And they used to hold these, um, you know, elder flock supper dinners where people would go from the church. We were in a flock. as a way of showing care for people. And it was mostly older people. And Jim and Maxine McGaines was having one afternoon at their farmhouse out in the country. And it was going to be great. So we're playing ball with all these kids in the neighborhood. And, you know, they're playing kickball or whatever. So, How would you kids like some free food? Great idea, right? So we crammed 15 kids into two cars, three kids per seatbelt against the law. We drive them out, and they don't know that they're coming. And I guarantee you, you should have seen the look on Jim and Maxine's face when the horde of locusts got out of my car and took over the party, ate all the cornbread, all the white beans, all the pie. It was out of control. Fear. But then Jim took them out at the back of the farm. And Jim then began to ride them around on the tractor. Then Jim began to teach them about the cows. And then Jim taught them the favorite sport from Little Rock, Arkansas, cow chip tossing. <laughs> we started tossing cow chips. Now I'll tell you that story. I tell you the story, not because I think any kid's life was changed because of white beans and cornbread or cow chips, but I'll tell you this, when those kids that day met Jim and Maxine, they met the face of Jesus. Because what matters is they may never have stepped a foot in a door of a church, but they met Jesus, and they'll now know that Jesus is a welcoming Jesus, not a condemning Jesus, but a loving Jesus, a grateful Jesus, a Jesus who... If we're going to be that church, we've got we to gotta be willing to let somebody disrupt our service. We've got to let someone come on our property. We need to have a cow chip toss. 
Okay, no, maybe not. So here's what happens. He goes, by this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. In other words, you've been preaching all day and Cracker Barrel's about to close. And if you don't send these people away, the food court in Capernaum's going to be closed. We're not going to get anything to eat. Now everybody's hungry. You see, Jesus didn't know it was just supposed to be 20 minutes and then lunch. He just went on teaching and teaching and teaching. Jesus, we got a problem here. you got to send these people home. They still don't get it. He sees them as people. They're just trying to get rid of them. You, sometimes we forget that the world does not exist for us, but we exist for the world. The purpose of the church is to feed hungry people. And here's what happens. I love it. He says to them, you give them something to eat. They were trying to get rid of them, but Jesus said, no, this is your mission. I could fix the problem. I could feed them right now with a snap of my finger. But you're going to feed them because you're going to feel the joy of knowing what it's like to be my hands and to be my feet. God's going to work through you to feed this crowd. And it's going to happen again and again and again. Isn't that just the way God just makes me so mad sometimes? I go to him with a problem and he gives me a mission. You go to God with a difficulty and he gives you something to do. You know, but that's what's great. There's the cure. Some of you today are filled with sorrow. You're overwhelmed with depression. You're filled with fear. Let me tell you what the cure is for your fear, your sorrow, your sadness, your depression. Help somebody. That's a whole other sermon right there. But the cure for the blues is to help someone with their blues. You see, Jesus says when you give life away, you get it back. When the church starts risking its life, giving its life away, people find, I don't care if our church is a big church, but I care if people know Jesus. I care if people meet Jesus through us. And by doing it, it just feels great. Doesn't it feel great to give and to serve? Well, you know what they said, what we say. Well, this, we, we don't have enough money to do that. They said uh, to him, that would take more than a year's and a half wages. Are we supposed to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Why is it that when we're faced with an opportunity to do something for God, we always focus on what we don't have? You can't do anything with what you don't have. Why is it that when God gives us something to do, we don't trust him enough to provide us with what we need to do it? And the truth is, the ingredients for the miracle is already in your hands. But immediately, the minute God gives us something to do, we show him our great big butts. But God, I'm not smart enough. But God, I'm not intelligent enough. But God, I don't have enough money. But God, I don't have time. I am so thankful to God that when he called me to ministry that I was ignorant and stupid. <laughs> and that I didn't see the job description. Because when I was 17 years old, if I would have, hey, you're going to have to go to uh, college for four years to meet the education requirements and three years of graduate school. I hated school. You're going to have to make good grades to get into graduate school. I hated school. You're going to have to be a public speaker. You're going to have to write a speech every week. I can't write. And I don't like speaking. I get sweaty, nervous. I don't really like standing in front of crowds of people. But you're going to have to do it every week. And then if I would have known I was going to have to move to Kentucky, no way. <laughs> I mean, literally, 
I was living in Texas, the Lone Star State. We don't need anybody else. I lived in Kentucky once before, and I told God I was thinking about moving to another church. And I said, anywhere but Kentucky. He answered my prayer. I moved to Louisville instead. Ooh. <laughs> to team. We always come up with the obstacles. And I love Jesus just blows right past them. He says, how many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have? You see, the ingredient for the miracle is in our hands. And he doesn't ask us to do everything before we do anything. He asks us just to share with him what we have. You know, and I look around and I see we've got a lot. I'm not looking at the empty seats today. I'm looking at the full hearts today. I'm looking at people who love and care and know that this is a church that loves people with the unconditional love of Jesus. I'm looking at a church that has a heart to serve. I'm looking at a church that wants to embrace its city. I'm looking at a church that knows that living out the love of Jesus means risking what we have. It means showing up and filling out a card. It means, it means doing, you know, three years ago, who would have thought we'd be almost debt-free, pay down our debt from 3.9 million to 700,000 so we could reach out more to our city and reposition our church? Nobody wrote a check for $3 million, but there's a whole lot of little checks written. And God took it and multiplied it and added to it. And we stand in a whole new different place in ministry today because of the commitment that you made. I look at you and I see what we have. We need to stop worrying about what we don't have and start focusing on what we do have and what's in our hands. And I look around and I see we have enough to reach 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 15,000 people. And, you know, look at these baskets, you know. Hey, we got a hungry city of people to feed, and, and what can I do? Well, you brought one basket, didn't you? How many baskets showed up? More than 300. How many baskets will 300 people feed? Three or four people per family. I, must, I estimate that this year we fed 1,000 people. How long have we been doing that? 15 years. How many people is that? 15,000 people. You see, we... The miracles, the time for miracles is not over. Miracles happen every day. They keep happening every single day. Anytime we offer, you've been bringing bags for 15 years. Maybe it took a little longer, but we fed 15,000 people. We're going to feed another 15,000 people with what we're able to give. and what we're, That's the purpose of the church, to feed hungry people. But look at what it says here. Where did, it says, when they found out, they said, we have five and two fish. Now, it's not mentioned here. But who had the five loaves and the two fish, remember? Help me out now. A little boy. Now I want you to point out something to you. This is the radical power of the gospel, folks. Mark says there were 5,000 men on the hillside. He's not even been counted. He wasn't even among the ones that were counted. We don't think we can make a difference. But who made the miracle happen? Somebody who wasn't counted, someone who was overlooked, someone who was forgotten, someone who was insignificant. And what about that boy's mom? Do you think that day when she got up and put those fish and those loaves of bread in his little sack lunch, that she knew she was packing a miracle? Don't ever discount the small things that you can do because the small things we do added together become big things. They become great things. Small little gifts, small ways we contribute. And look what happens. He directed them to sit down in small groups. 
And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and broke what they had. So often we focus on what we're lacking and we complain and we worry and we're filled with fear. And if we would take the example from Jesus, we would, our lives would change to take the little we have and to give thanks over it and to offer it to him and see what he could do. And then look what happens. All 15,000 people were fed. All 15,000 people got some fish and some bread. It says they were all satisfied. I, I love Bob Goff. Bob Goff has wrote a book called Love Does. And in the book, at one point, uh, he says this at one point. Bob Goff said this. He said, I see normal, everyday people looking with their heads down and praying with their heads down and their eyes closed and their hands in front of themselves. He said, what I'd like to see, God wants to see a church that prays with their eyes open and looking at the world and their hands open to the world. And instead of bowing our heads and closing our eyes, let's all bow our whole life to him. Let's be that church. Let's be the church that Mother Teresa prayed for when she said, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry, but now I pray that he would guide me to do it through me. I used to pray for answers, but now I pray that he would give me strength. I used to pray that God would, would change the world, but now I ask him to change me so that we can change the world. I see a church, a messy church. I see a church that's open and welcome to all. I see a church meeting the physical and spiritual needs of our community. That's the church that I see. Do you see that church? Let's stand up and give God some praise.